Welcome to the Now You Know Akron podcast, brought to you by the journalists of BeaconJournal.com. Each week, they will share their expertise on Akron and Summit County. Now, here's your host, Craig Webb. Thanks for joining us for the Now You Know Akron podcast. I'm your host, Craig Webb. Our spotlight topic today will be a wide-ranging discussion with Brian Keith Johnson. He is a Northeast Ohio opera singer who recently sang at the Brown Steelers game, and he's also a music educator for Akron Public Schools. We'll talk about his recent singing gig with the Browns, also what's going on in the opera scene in Northeast Ohio. We'll also talk a little motorcycles, food, and of course, students in the Akron Public Schools. But first, here's three things you should know from recent headlines on BeaconJournal.com. Reporter Amanda Garrett had a fascinating story about an unauthorized funeral home operator who has avoided authorities for years, operating funeral services in Akron and also Columbus while also being a pastor. The story takes a look at loopholes that this person used to get away with his business for so long without the scrutiny of authorities. Our medical reporters and statehouse reporters, along with Beacon Journal's own Betty Lynn Fisher, continue to follow the crisis with the COVID pandemic. As the fourth so-called surge has ebbing, authorities say they're fearful that another one could be coming this winter. We have all the recent headlines involving COVID on BeaconJournal.com. And finally, our reporter Jennifer Pinole, our education reporter, took a look at violence in Akron Public Schools and instances where instructors have been injured. She took a look at what the school district is doing to address concerns among staff and students alike about violence in our schools. For more on these stories and much more, you can visit our various apps and also BeaconJournal.com for all the latest news and headlines along with subscriber-exclusive content that you just simply cannot find anywhere else. Guests were joined by Brian Keith Johnson, who teaches music from kindergarten through fifth grade at Akron's Finley CLC. He's also a professional opera singer who just happened to sing the national anthem recently at a Cleveland Browns Steelers game. So, so welcome, Brian. Thank you. You know, I, I, I guess I want to start with the obvious. And and why is the national anthem such a difficult song to sing? It, it, you know, it seems like it's a song that has left a a path of uh, unfortunate. Uh, you know, recorded uh, things. I mean, why is it such a difficult song? It's a challenging song because of the range. It's a full octave and a fifth. And for many young voices and young singers, that is a great range. Um, and it proves to be too great for younger singers. So when I'm teaching a patriotic song 
uh, to my elementary students, I always start with something like My Country, Tis of Thee, or even America the Beautiful, because the range is rather limited, and the students can have success with that song. When they try and sing the national anthem, it tends to be a, a reach, because you, you can start at a certain range, but then when you get to the high part, it's too high. And if you start where, where, where the high part is comfortable, then it's too low. So this is a very difficult song to sing in general because of the range. Well, and I guess it's it's also um, one of those songs that kind of brings pressure, right? I mean, it, it, you, you kind of want to do it right. You don't want to be too, you know, some people have had success by doing their own interpretations and, and others have, have been. Are you more of a traditional singer of the National Anthem? I am more traditional singer. In my, all of my 32 years of teaching, I, I when I do the National Anthem, when I coach it, I think there are two songs, and this is my personal opinion, that you don't mess with. You don't mess with the school's alma mater. You do it as it was written. And for the most part, you do the national anthem as it was written, as Francis Scott Key wrote it. So that is what I do um, out of respect for the composer, out of respect for the music, and out of respect for the country. Now, people have different interpretations of that, but those happen to be my interpretations. So I'm curious, how did it come about that you ended up at, you know, the game didn't turn out all right. But now we know, right? We, we know the end right. of that story. But, right. but how did you end up at the, at the Brown Steelers game? Well, my coordinator of music for the Arkham Public Schools, Don Wilson, uh, gave me a, on a, a Tuesday and said, hey, we shouldn't sing the national anthem for the Cleveland Browns game. I said, sure, that sounds great. And she goes, send an audition tape. I said, I can do that. There's only one catch. And I said, what is that? She goes, it's due tomorrow morning. So I had, you know, 20 hours <laughs> to get that all together. Uh, so I rushed home, and I went into this space where I am now, where I do all of my music and singing because my wife says it's too loud when I practice downstairs when she's in the house. Came up here, did uh, five or six recordings, and took the best one, and then turned that in the next day. And then I waited about three weeks or so. I, my boss heard back from the Browns and said that they would like my audition, and I was selected to do the game. And then she called me and emailed me, and then there we were. So I, I guess my, my other question, did you get to practice in the stadium beforehand or was it kind of just go out cold? No, no. The, um, the Browns have, a, and I've done it before as a quartet representing Cleveland Opera, but um, as a solo artist, we are required to be there at 945, no later than 945 in the morning for a one o'clock game. At 10 o'clock, I go out in the field and I sing it two or three times because they want to make sure that I'm under the 90 second limit because they have all kinds of things that go along with that. The pyrotechnics going along, and then there was a flyover. So they make sure that I do it at least twice so I can be under 90 seconds for everything that happens during the National Anthem will go smoothly. So that's what I did. Um, 10 o'clock, I ran it twice. Then I go back into the holding area where they feed us. Uh, we get to meet the mascots, the color guard, and all the other Browns personnel who are backstage working. And then at 12 o'clock, I got to go out on the field in a special eroped-off area, watch the teams come out, take pictures that I wanted to take, and just hang out for half an hour, then go back to the holding area. And then I came out at about uh, 12.50 to go on at 12.57 for the actual national anthem. So is there anything that's unnerving about it? I mean, I, I, I guess I, I think I would think the the you know I want to say the echo would would be a uh, concern of hearing yourself and a feedback or or just kind of this weird echoing off the buildings or the stadium itself or, or is it not too bad when you're actually on the field? No, that's an excellent point because this is the first time I've ever had to use earphones and they told me our earplugs they said um 
you're going to need these for the echo because it's a full second echo. So they fitted me with these um, earbuds, and then I practiced. They go, you should be able to hear yourself um, in your ears. So go with what you hear with yourself. Don't go with what you hear coming back at you because it'll be late. And the other two times I did that, that wasn't really the case. I don't remember. We didn't all have earpieces. But this time I had earpieces, and thank goodness we practiced with them because I had never used them really before in a live situation. I had used them online in a virtual situation, but it was a big difference hearing a full second echo coming back at you. So you had to really just trust what you do. Well, I want to get back and, and talk a little bit more about your, your Akron Public Schools, but but first, you know, as an opera singer, what was it like being off? I mean, you know, you, you sing throughout the region probably, and you sang nationally, but I mean, how was the pandemic for that side of, of, of your life, for the, the professional opera singer side? Was it weird being off for that long and just? It was very weird being off from live performances, but I actually did uh, two operas, which is what I would normally do during a school year anyway. And um, one was I was I was singing live, but we had to record. There was no audience. We had to be socially distanced from the orchestra. We recorded everything ahead of time, and then we did actual video of doing all the staging outside. So we had to wear singing masks when we were recording. We could only record at junctions of a half an hour. Then we had to clear the space so the aerosols could um, sift out. And that was a unique experience. That was the first time I had done that with the Opera La Traviata with Opera Reserve out of Youngstown. And then I did another opera um, with the University of Akron called The Telephone, and we did the same thing. It was only a two-person opera, but we could never be in the same building at the same, I mean, the same room at the same time. So, and it's not like, okay, she was going for an hour, then we wait the night going for an hour. No, she went in for one day, then I would come in the next day. So we did day alternate, alternating. And it turned out really well because the video, when I saw it, it actually looked like we were in the, the room together the whole time, the way they did it with the magic of editing. So that was pretty cool. And then I also did a few other, uh, I did one live opera, another two-person opera, and we did all the social distancing. So I really did three operas in a year, which is about what I normally do. But it's weird not having any audience members because we as singers, we feed off of the energy of the audience. And when you don't get that, you got to put everything there in yourself. And that's, that's, that's especially challenging. I'm a little curious about that because I, I you know, we, we just recently, I just went, I saw prom recently at, at Playhouse Square, and it, you know, the, there's such audience feedback, it, you know, at a Broadway play or even at a concert. Yes. Whereas, you know, having gone to a few operas, I, I didn't mention before we started that my, my daughter studied opera that, you know, you're not allowed to clap too much, or you don't know sure when you should clap. And so, you know, as a as an opera novice, I kind of sat on my hands and and waited for the German words to stop and and read my interpretation, you know, but. You, you do feed off the audience? I mean, you, you can kind of feel the energy? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Even when they're not saying anything, just when when you're on stage, you you see the whole house. And, and knowing that people are out there, you know, you know, and they may have seen the opera ten times before or it may be their first one. But when you know they're out there, you've always got to give every performance you have as if it's the audience's first and only time seeing the opera. At least that's my mindset when I go in there. And it's really a lot different to have actual bodies there than to be singing to an empty house. So it really does make it. It's like, a you know, when the, the football 
Bears, they, you know, they, they had to play there a few games with nobody in there or a diminished audience. And when you're in a huge stadium and you have 3,000 people, that's a lot different than 80,000 people. You feed off of that energy, and opera singers, we feed off of that energy the same way as athletes, professional athletes. Because being a singer, you are a professional athlete as well. You have to keep your body in shape. And your instrument is your body, or your body is your instrument. So we have to be particularly careful of weather changes, how we take our vitamins, what we eat on the day of a performance. You, you don't eat certain things because it may give you a reflux. So it's, it's a big challenge. And, you know, things that we take for granted as just regular people, like talking on the phone. Um, and, and when I'm teaching all day, when I have an opera, I do a test with my students so I'm not talking six hours, seven hours a day and then have to go do a three-hour op because the voice does get tired and it needs to rest and recover just like any other muscle. So I guess I, I'm curious, which came first, the opera singer or the teacher? Or are they both uh, one of the thing? Uh, the opera singer came because I was still a student um, when I had my first professional opera obligation. And so the opera singer, I guess, came first. But I started out as an accounting major. I was planning on being an accountant, and I just didn't love that after two and a half years of program. So I went uh, to the University of Akron. I mean, I was already there for accounting and I went to the music department. I spoke to a voice teacher and said, hey, I just want to be in a choir or something, just to do something musical. I sang for her. Then she took me to the opera director. I sang for him. And he said, oh my goodness, um, can you read music? And I said, sure, I can. And he had me sight read something. He goes, do you play any instruments? I said, yeah, keyboards and percussion. I was a drummer in high school. I had percussion instruments at home and I play keyboards. And he goes, can you play your accompaniment? And I said, well, sure. And here I am, you know, I'm two and a half, I'm 20. I'm thinking that everybody in the music school is like on the movie Fame. Everybody can do anything, everything. So I was dreading the fact that he was going to, I thought he was going to ask me if I could dance next. And I was going to clearly say, uh, no, that is what I, I can sing and play. Dancing is not my strength. But that question never came, so I was happy. <laughs> do you remember what you sang? I sang Joe Sole d'Elegante from the 24 Italian um, Songs and Arias book. Okay, so you just had that in your back pocket. You just pulled that one out. It was just. Uh, I did. I just pulled it. He had the book there, and, and I just, and he said, do you have any of these? I said, I know three or four of those. And I just picked the one out I most recently, and he was very impressed. And I was very happy that he was impressed because I did not know what to expect. I was just auditioning to get an A single choir up getting a scholarship to be in the opera program. I joined the opera. And then the next year, I had a full scholarship. In addition to the Faustus M. Lully scholarship I got from my hometown, I got $1,500 um, from the university every year. So thirty-five. So I had $5,000 a year plus an additional $1,000 academic scholarship. So I had $6,000. And back in the 80s, that would pay for a full year of classes. And now, you know, I pay $1,000 for a grad. It's kind of crazy, but back then, you know, that's thirty something years ago. Pay for my whole career. Yeah, I, I was just telling my kids. I, I think it was a thousand dollars a semester when I'm still living at home. It was about uh, just under a thousand dollars a semester to be a full time. Yeah. Student at mm -hmm. Kent Start, I was at Kent State in Asheville County. But I, I guess so. You're also an educator, and I, I guess I'm, I'm curious. You know, just pick your brain a little bit about that, and and how are things? How was that during the pandemic? Being a music teacher. It was it was especially challenging because um, I did a year and a half um, from home. Um, so that was a different experience. But I was in this space, what I'm doing right now on the camera, 
And I found that with COVID, because of strict limitations in terms of singing and aerosols being expelled into the air, if I were at school, I wasn't going to be allowed technically to sing with the students because my space at Finley CLC, uh, we are so packed with students that my space is on the stage. And on the stage, I cannot technically be six feet apart. I can be three feet apart, which is the legal specification, the mere minimums. But if we're only three feet apart, we're not allowed to sing. We're not allowed to play instruments. We're not allowed to share books or instruments. So being at home, I could do everything that I couldn't do at school. So I was the one music teacher in Akron, the elementary schools, who taught almost all of the students who did not have music from their home music teacher online. So I had 12 schools, and I had different classes every day from different buildings, which is rather exciting because I got to meet students I never would have gotten to meet normally, and I taught at home. So I would sing. We'd do a singing test or something every week, and I would sing to them, which I could do unmasked, and they could sing back to me unmasked. Now, some of the students were at daycares, so those students had to wear masks because they were in a shared space. But I could sing. I could dance. I could play my synthesizers for them, which I can't do at school. Um, and it was just a lot of fun um, doing things like that. So I really um, enjoyed it. My students were very engaged, and I've gotten lots of notes from those teachers even now saying, my kids really had a good time with you last year online, and they wanted to know if I was going to come visit. I did promise to, I said, I'm going to do my best next year when we're back in the non-COVID situation. Even though we are still in a COVID situation, we are now live. So I can come back when I have a little bit more time or I have a planning period and lunch back to back. I would get to those schools. And I saw several of them anyway in person last year because I am an avid motorcyclist and I would do motorcycle ride throughs every week. I say, hey, three people pick us pick. Um, if you want me to stop by your house and I will do that, let's let your parents know. And I will email your parents know that I'll be coming between, you know, 4 and 5.30 is when I did my motorcycle ride through. So I would go over their houses and their parents would come out and say, you're the music teacher? And I said, yes. And I have all full leathers and a motorcycle. And, they, and the kids would come out and we'd do some singing. And they'd show me their favorite toys or their pets. And it was just really cool to, to have that kind of contact with the kids. Because they say, well, he's a regular guy and he rides a motorcycle, but he teaches in class. And that is usually a big surprise that the opera singing motorcyclist. So it's, it's kind of fun. And my kids at Finley have known that for years because I've done that. But for my other students who I don't normally have from the other 12 schools, it was really kind of fun for them to see me. And I got to go over different parts of Akron that I don't normally go. So it was kind of fun. Okay, so you said regular guy and motorcycle and opera singer all in the same sentence. I, I'm not sure that I've ever heard that. And I, are, are there any motorcycle, uh, Operas? I've never even heard of it. You know what I mean? Is there, is you there know, one? I am waiting because I have one of, actually, it was Marion Vogel's mother, <laughs> um, uh, texted Marion and said, hey, um, they think, your mom thinks you should ride out on the field on the 50 yard line on your motorcycle, get off, and then sing the national anthem. I said, if the Browns would allow that, I would absolutely do that. And I have done that at, um, one opera concert. I was outdoor venue, obviously. And I rode my motorcycle in, and I had my jacket on, and then I got to the stage, and I took off my jacket, and I had my tux on underneath. I took off my helmet, and I started singing the Lord go off. I told him from um, um, Barbara Seville, which is, everybody knows it from Bugs Bunny. But I got off and sang that off my motorcycle, and it was a totally cool experience.
So for those non-opera aficionados out there, Marion uh, lives in Medina, is also a, a well-known opera singer in Northeast Ohio who, mm-hmm. who also sings with, with Brian. So for those who keep keeping score at home, uh, so a little shout-out to Marion and, and fellow opera singers, right? So yeah. I, I guess I'm kind of curious, how's the school year going this year with, with the kids back in school? It's not quite normal, is it? Are we kind of – are you able to sing? Are they able to sing with you? We are in masks, and when I do um, their vocal test, because I'm back on the stage, so um, I will stand six feet away from them and model, and then when they take their vocal test up with me, I have them stand about 10 feet away from the piano so I can still do my vocal test, and we're all in masks, which is very challenging. But as we've learned over the last year, um, I can sing in a mask, they can sing in masks, and it works pretty well. And actually, I'm in an opera coming up at the University of Akron, Hansel and Gretel. Hopefully, it's still going to happen live. But we have every one of our rehearsals, we're always in masks. So I'm used to being in a mask for, you know, seven hours a day anyway. And then I go to class for two hours at night. And the kids, really, it's the same thing, just in masks. And we just have to be a little bit more careful with the distance. But it's fun. You know, being singing in a mask as a kid, does it maybe for one kid, maybe a little shy and maybe a little self-conscious of, I don't know, you know, vocal expression, is it make them a little braver singing in a mask in a weird way? Is it- I think the thing that makes them braver is I never have them sing one-on-one. I always have them at least in groups of three, which was especially interesting last year because I couldn't have three sing at a time because of the delay in the Google, in the Zoom meets. So they got, they had to sing one-on-one and it, it was amazing how many kids did not have any problem singing one-on-one because we did it every week. And when I'm in school, um, I do tests every third week or so. Um, but online, I knew we had um, I had 12, 12 schools, so we sang every week. And they would sing their tests one-on-one because if they tried to sing together, the delay would throw everybody off. But at school, I always have them sing at least three at a time. And if I run out, you know, three, 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 there's only one kid left. I always ask for, can I have two volunteers to come sing with Billy? And they just jump up and raise their hand, can I sing, can I sing? And it's really great, the love they show towards each other and trying to help um, make sure that everybody feels comfortable. And that's that's one of the great things about being at Finley. Um, our principal, Sherry Bennington, supports that family atmosphere, love as much as you can, be honest with the kids. And if you give to them, you share with them, they'll be happy to share with you and they'll do anything with you. So that's why I like to my first week in school, first couple of weeks, get to know the kids. I always show a picture of my wife and I say, this is Mrs. Johnson. She teaches kindergarten at Robinson. I show them my second best friend. I say, because my best friend is Mrs. Johnson, but my second best friend is Jared Plaster. He was the best man in my wedding. Here's his picture. And I said, and I ride a bunch of motorcycles. So I do like a motorcycle a week. And I said, this motorcycle is named Nikita. And I said, and Jared, my best man, is who I ride with the most. And we'll just ride somewhere every week to go. Just ride to a restaurant, a destination to eat. And we try and do non-chain restaurants. And we'll just say, what's our destination this week? We don't know. We're going to go south somewhere. And then we'll find some place and eat and then come back. So they just think, well, he's got a wife. He's actually married. He actually goes to the grocery store. He actually has motorcycles and buys gas. And he has friends outside of teachers from school. It's just really cool for them to see that, hey, I have the same kind of life you guys live. I'm just a little bit older and I do things in Cuyahoga Falls where you do things in Akron. Boy, I'm watching. I'm I, I guess I have to ask before we go, have you found a good restaurant lately? Is something surprised you? I'm like, oh, that was a great one. Well, the last few times, because um, I've written here, we've gone a few chains, 
But I'm trying to think of the last one that Jared and I have gone to. And I know it was somewhere past Medina. We went there. We went, we just went down 18, just kept going, kept going till we got some, some farmland and we found a great diner there. And I don't remember exactly what it was called, but we find at least three or four gems this arriving season. Um, because we'll just say we'll go to a town and then we'll just find some place there or we're looking for a specific restaurant that somebody has found that's a good hour away and then we'll just go there. Well, it's good to eat local and, and shop local and, and support your local opera companies, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I say the one I've, it's, it's not a chain, but what I found this year is a place called Saucy Brew Works in, um, downtown Cleveland, basically. And on Monday nights, they have a buy one, get one free or pizza. So I religiously go there on Mondays. I've been there the last three Mondays and my, another, another motorcycle buddy and I, we ride there. And if it's too cold, we'll drive there and still get, um, <laughs> Buy one, get one. But what I have learned in the food industry is during COVID, it's very difficult to get some items, food items, and prices have gone way up. My favorite Chinese restaurant in Akron Chins is right down Market Street. It was my first Chinese restaurant I've ever been to, and it is my favorite. Known the family for years. Had one of the boys in school as a student, and they were telling me how how expensive vegetables have gotten, how tough it's for them to, to do vegetables. And that saucy brew works, the pizza, they couldn't get the spicy capicola ends, so they couldn't make the one pizza. And that's one thing I've learned, just um, how difficult it is for small businesses, not chains as much, but the smaller family-owned shops, to stay afloat because of difficulty in prices and inventory. So I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this food podcast, Brown's podcast, <laughs> yeah. opera podcast, education <laughs> podcast, and uh, motorcycle and aficionado podcast. So, so, Brian, we covered a lot of territory. So thank you. Thank you so much. It was an honor talking to you today. Thank you. My pleasure. We've come to the end of another podcast. That's all the time we have today for the Now You Know Akron podcast. Be sure to join us next week. Episodes are released every Wednesday or thereabouts wherever you can download your favorite podcast and also available on beaconjournal.com and our various apps. Before we go, we have to thank our producer, BJ Lisko. Without him, seriously, this would not be possible. And we urge you to support local journalism by becoming a subscriber. If you've already signed up, you have my heartfelt thanks. Until next week, now you know Akron.